Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. All right, new series titled Originals. We're starting this series today. And we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about some original things. Now, this idea of being original, I believe it identifies with every single one of us because we all have this desire to be original, to be authentic. And it starts early. Uh, In our house, we have, many of you know that we have twins, twin daughters. And in the life of twin daughters, because they're so close in age, there's this necessity to stand out. I feel like every child wants to stand out. They get to a place in life where they want to stand out. Uh, but, you know, it, the closer they are in age, the more you see that as evidence. So in any given day in our house, uh, when you're walking about our house, you might hear um, on occasion somebody say, Mom, Dad, she is copying me. It's a big transgression to copy somebody else's idea because they want to be original. Or if a kid repeats a joke that somebody else, that the other one came up with, or a witty remark and we laugh, quickly you will hear, hey, I came up with that. It was my idea. And I think that we can all identify with that. I sense that we all have a desire for originality. However, in our drive to seek something original, many times we fail to realize that originality doesn't necessarily mean positivity. To be original is not always, doesn't always bring a positive result because originality is not innately good. Now, if you think about your progress in life, the areas of life that you were able to grow in, most of the progress was not made by what you considered original about you. Most of the growth that you've experienced happened by your ability to imitate somebody else, to imitate other people, people you were exposed to. Simple and very important things like politeness, kindness, love, integrity, honor. Those are things that were modeled to you. We love because of the way we've seen other people love. We respect. That's how we learn those things. We respect by how other people respect others and they respect ourselves and so forth. Now, in recent years, uh, so much of our interaction and our relationship with others have be- has become virtual. We've moved from this personal to virtual space where most of us were having hybrid relationships with people and we all kind of have an audience right especially if you're in this in this online space if you have any kind of content creation that you want to put out there there's this pressure that you got to be original you got to do something new you got to do something that is that is a content that will will grasp people's attention your sense of humor your thought process all it all has to be original your style it has to be original now if you notice historically And sociologically, the pendulum has swung from this place of I'm going to be a part of of the tradition of my family and I'm going to follow what has happened for, for, for decades past to I'm going to go chart my own path and I'm going to be my own person. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. 
There's nothing wrong with us desiring to forge our own path. And there are many more opportunities for us to do that nowadays. Industries are changing. Opportunities are becoming open. Our world is not as static as it once was. So we have the ability to do that. But I believe we went sharply from my grandfather was a farmer. My dad was a farmer. I am a farmer. My son and daughter will be farmers. My grandchildren will be farmers, which is not very inspiring, but it's how it used to be, to... If there's anybody that does anything in my family, I got to do something different because I got to be original. I'll do anything except what my family members do. So if there's a lawyer in the family, I can't be that. If there's a doctor in the family, I got to be something different. If there's an artist in the family, I don't want to be like that because I got to be original. I got to be unique. And maybe it's not intense, that intense for you. Maybe uh, it's not like that. But you have, we all have this pressure to, to be our own person. And many times it leads us to this immature mindset to discard every direction, every guidance, every opinion we've ever received from anyone. Now the reality is that this idea of originality is really a pursuit to be the first. To be the first at something, to have some kind of mark in the world that can be unique. We all want that. But sometimes this first thing can be good. Many times it can be also bad. Every family has a first, someone that we kind of like, man, I wish that hadn't happened in our family. And so the next few weeks we're going to look at some of these originals that have been major Major for history, major for mankind, but it started with people doing things that affected everyone else. And so we're going to look at some of these major originals that, that have affected us. And I'm going to start today with the original of all originals. Because we have to realize this, there are some originals that will always have an effect on you. There are some originals from your family, your family line, that will always somehow have a presence in your life. Even if they don't have power over you, their presence will be always there. Right? The, 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 the highlights, whether good or bad, will be there. And we're going to look at some originals. Today I want to look at a specific original. Uh, we're going to go way back. The original of all originals. We're going to talk today a little bit about the original sin and the solution for it. Because that original kind of really changed us, uh, all of us, right? Uh, our key scripture for today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22. I'm reading from the NIV version. You can follow along on the screens. And it says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of de the dead comes through a man. For as, Adam, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now if you've heard of the idea of the original sin, if you've had any exposure to Christianity, you've probably had, uh, heard some version of it. And this idea of the original sin comes from this teaching that Paul has taught. He speaks a little bit in Romans about it. He speaks in Corinthians about it. And, and this idea that be, for, through one person, we have this nature 
that follows us. Now, it was St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, the priest from four, the 4th century, the famous priest that coined the phrase original sin. Uh, but, it, but, but it was based on this teaching from Paul. What we learn from this, this story of the original sin is that the story of the original sin is the story of us. It's the story of you. And for those of you who don't remember the story, I'm going to refresh your memory. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look through the story right now. Uh, we're going to read from verse 1 through 7 from the NIV version. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any, other, uh, of, the, any of the wild animals of the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the, in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said, but, but, God, but did, God did say, I need to pause because I'm stumbling through the words here. We may eat fruit from, from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. And then the, 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 the snake replies, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, notice those three adjectives, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And, they, and the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now it's easy to read this story and focus on the wrong, wrong thing. We have this 2023 scientific mind that immediately goes to the natural things of the story. For example, uh, so are you saying that serpents could talk? The snakes could speak? Or um, they, 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 was it an apple that they ate? Or, you know, they sewed sig leaves together. They sewed. Did, did, who taught them how to sew? Where did they get the needle? Did they find steel? And forged the needle. And how about the line? Did they go to Joanne Fabrics to get the line? So they could sew together. Who taught them how to sew? Like those are not the questions that we're supposed to ask. In fact, you can, you can look at the entire corpus of Scripture and you're not going to find questions like that because that's not the point of the story. And I don't want you to miss the point of the story because we have grown out of a spiritual mindset and we've, be, we've, we've gained this shallow uh, scientific mindset that, that just looks at stories like that and immediately discards them because of our natural way of seeing things. It is not about the fruit. It's not about the fig leaves. It's not about whether the serpent could talk. It's about the action of operating independently from God. It's about the action of seeking the knowledge of good and evil apart from God. The deception of the enemy that took root in, in, in the person's heart. It's about divorcing from God in the decision-making process and how you engage the future. 
Now notice that the woman said that the fruit was good. She, she saw the fruit as good, desirable, and pleasing. I want you to make a mental note of that. Because that's a very interesting description of the fruit. But then notice, what was the first effect of their action? What was the first effect of pursuing something that seemed good, that seemed pleasing, that seemed perfect? It was shame. Scripture says that they hid themselves, that they were afraid, that they sewed leaves, uh, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They felt ashamed. The first thing they did was to hide themselves. They had this experience of thinking, pursuing something good, something original, something unique. And the result was com the complete opposite. Now, this is what the story tells us, that since then, as people, we have been unable to accurately identify and, and separate good from bad on our own. Have you noticed that? That in your life, you, you, you don't have the power or the clarity to know which path will lead to heaven on earth and which path will lead to hell on earth. We don't always know until it's too late, until it's, we're already there. We have this nature within us that confuses good and evil all the time. We think we're on the right path, we get excited, we go for it, and then we crash and burn. To Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, decided to separate themselves from God's will, from God's direction for their lives. And that's why I said that the, the story of the original sin is the story of the original you. Because it's not just about the, what happened in, in the third chapter of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. It's about what happens to every single one of us. See, we all have a Garden of Eden phase. I love that our church is full of babies. We contributed to that recently. My wife decided to have a child. And so it happened. I always tease her about that because it was such a surprise. And many of you have had babies recently, and we love that. You can't go back to a phase in your life where you remember when you were a baby. But let me tell you, you were happy. You had no worries. You were in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. You didn't worry about bills, career, relationships, whether you should go on a first date, you know, what to wear to church. You don't have to worry about that. You guys all look beautiful. You didn't have any worries. You were in the Garden of Eden stage. We all go through that. But at some point in your development, at some point, probably close to your adolescent years, you realized, your eyes were open, you realized you can make a decision that could be deceiving. You can make a decision and, and take an action that could lead down a path that is uncertain. You discovered pain, regret, you discovered sorrow, and you discovered 
what it is like to see something as good, pleasing, and desirable, and go for it and realize it's none of that. And it just, it just brought you shame and pain. We all go through that. The story of the garden is the story of us. Think of your regrets. In fact, think of your greatest regret. I'm not trying to bring you down. Just, just go there for a minute. And think for your most recent regret. It could be what you had for breakfast today. Or maybe dinner last night. It's bothering you. Both of them. I don't know much about you. Some of you I know more than others. But I know one thing about all of us here in the room. Virtually every regret you have started with the thought that that thing, that action, that relationship, that step was good. You were pursuing good. You looked at that fruit and you said, oh, this is desirable. You had good intentions. But it didn't end good. It's poor English, but it's true. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture talks about our nature. We have this nature that we can't help it, but it just happens. We've all sinned. We all fall short. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It, it, your, your lineage doesn't matter. Your bloodline doesn't matter. Your gender is irrelevant. Your good deeds even are irrelevant. You have this nature within you. That came to be because of this original thing that the scripture talks about. Because we all have sinned. That's the problem. That's the original problem of mankind, isn't it? The original problem we all have to deal with. We wrestle with it. We struggle with it. And it, it really, it feels like, it doesn't really matter if you're a theist or a deist or an atheist or Christian or none of those things. You know this. You, you feel it. You can be a critic or a supporter of the Bible, but if you look at your shortcomings and your mistakes, your regrets, the things that you're not super proud of, you can trace them all back to this original problem. It comes from this original thing. Even the messes that we're in politically, wars in the world, Division at work, infidelity in the family. Whatever wrong, the source of it, if you go to the source of it, it's this problem. It's people's inability to, to choose good versus evil. Even when we have good intentions. It's our original problem. Now, this original problem brings two devastating consequences. The first consequence is death. Now, this is what I believe. I believe that the reason why we grieve when we experience death, of, especially of a loved one, someone close. Alini and I have had that experience. I'm sure many of you have had that experience. And grief is tough. Grief is difficult. But I believe the reason why we experience grief is not just because we loved that person. The reason why uh, we can never be okay with death. The reason why for ages... Both nobles and plebeians have pursued immortality, have struggled with this idea of death. It's because we were never meant to die. We were not designed to die. 
The scripture talks about a perfect garden and how man was put in the garden. And God's warning was, if you sin, you'll die. Which means, if you don't sin, you'll remain immortal. Our nature, we were designed by God to be immortal. We were not designed to die. But the nature of sin brought death into the world. And now we experience not only spiritual, but physical death. That's the first devastating consequence of this original sin. Death entered the world through sin. The second devastating consequence is that our judgment has been compromised. And we've all, we all have stories to tell about that. Our judgment has been divorced, separated from God's judgment. And because of it, what seems right to us can end up wrong. What seems wrong to us can be right. We all have lost our compass. Like Adam and Eve, we're vulnerable. We're exposed. And many times what we do is we hide from God. We're afraid of God like they were. We see God as a threat sometimes. And we see the forbidden fruit, the forbidden fruits of life as good, as desirable, and as pleasing. It's an original problem. And the original problem requires an original solution. So what is the solution? Well, the solution for the first problem is found in Corinthians. It's found in Christ. Look at this passage in Corinthians. I'm going to skip around uh, chapter 15 a little bit just to give you the context of it. But he starts on verse 12 through 14, and then I'm going to go to 17 and then 19 through 22. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It's a very very straight up question that Paul asks. Hey, what are you talking about? There's no resurrection of the dead. I know it's, it's unimaginable to think about this in this day and age. But this is a fundamental thing about the gospel. Resurrection of the dead. So if, we, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. Paul is hinging everything on the resurrection of Christ. And there's a reason for that. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. If death is not conquered, sin is not conquered. Do you understand what he's saying here? If only for this life we have hope to be in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as, is, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You know what this promise says? It says that God, Jesus, through Jesus, took care of the problem of death. Immortality is offered to those who believe in Christ. And one day, and the last day, the promise is that all of us will rise again from the dead. There is silence in the room because it confuses us. But it is true. I'm not talking about a, a metaphorical resurrection. Paul is not talking about a metaphorical resurrection. He's talking about actual resurrection. And everything that we preach about hinges on this truth. We all like to talk about the death of Christ. That's really important. It's where our sins were crucified. 
But many people died by crucifixion in Jesus' day. What was special about Jesus' death is that he took our sins. Now what is really special about the gospel is that the sins of the world did not take him. But he conquered the sins of the world. Which means that the sins of the entire world could not hold him in the grave. And the effect of sin, which is death, did not endure. But Jesus conquered death. And when we are in him, we too shall conquer death. So for those who believe in Christ, we are immortal. There is a second life awaiting us as we cross the veil. That's the first problem solved because Jesus solved that problem. Now what of the second consequence? The second consequence of this original problem. The bad judgment part. The part of us trying to make decisions that are good and ending up in bad ideas. The sinful nature that rears its ugly head from time to time. Trying to lead us to another regretful decision by making it look good, pleasing, and desirable. The solution is not to be original, do our own thing, turn our backs to everyone and everything. The solution is actually much simpler than that and much more appealing than that. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 from the ESV version say, say this, I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your wish, spiritual worship. That's what we're doing here today. That's what you do when you go into prayer at, at, at your own, in your own space, at your own home. When you come into God's presence and you say, God, I offer my life to you. Now what does that do? What is the result of that? It comes on the next verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. There's two things I want you to notice here. That the point of what we do together, the point of the, your relationship with Christ while here on earth is to discern the will of God. You don't need to discern what is good and what is evil. You need to discern if it's the will of God. Because God will take care of what's good and evil in your life. So instead of thinking, is this good or evil? You think, is this the will of God for me? It simplifies it. It simplifies your prayers. It simplifies your next step. Because you know you can trust the will of God. Why can you trust the will of God? Second thing I want to highlight from this scripture. The, good of, the will of God is good. It's pleasing and it's perfect. Now I want you to notice that when the serpent comes into your life, in the gardens of your life, to present you with something, it has, the serpent has to disguise it as perfect, good, and pleasing. It has to, because that's what you want. That's why in the Garden of Eden, when Eve looked at the fruit, she didn't see shame. She didn't see, she didn't see uh, uh, sin. She didn't, she, she didn't see. She didn't see. She didn't see. She didn't she, I was going to say. She didn't see sin or death. It was presented to her as what? Good, pleasing, and desirable. 
Which tells me this. Every time you've been deceived, the enemy deceived you by presenting something as if it were like the will of God. Because that's what you really want. Every regret you've had, every pain you've endured, everything you've gone through that has brought you pain is because in your inner heart you were looking for something good, for something pleasing, for something desirable, for something perfect. And can I tell you that what we learn and what we've learned for the ages, what we learn from the scriptures is that that is the will of God. So let me encourage you today to pursue the will of God, to pursue that for your life. The original thing that you desired, the original thing that you sought, the original thing that you craved that might have led you to disappointment. It was presented to you by the enemy as the will of God. And maybe today you're here and you, and you, you, you experienced the counterfeit and you gave up on dreams. You gave up on things that, that, that God had put a seed in your heart. You might have give, given up because of the pain. Because of the sorrow, because of what you have, you've experienced as far as your disappointment. But don't be mistaken and think that what is good, pleasing, and perfect is not there for you. It is. What we need to do is surrender our lives and not allow this original problem to take a hold of us. And in Christ, sin is resolved. Scripture says that sin will no longer have dominion over us. How can sin not have dominion over us? By our constant pursuit of the will of God for our lives. So let me challenge you. Let me challenge you with very basic questions. Why are you here today? Are you here today because you think it's good? Or are you here today because you know it's the will of God for you? Because you can be here by both motivations. But if you're here because you think it's good, you have a problem you want to solve. And you're going to solve that problem. And once that problem is solved and God blesses you, you're going to go find some other goods somewhere else. Because your commitment is to your own notion of what is good. Let me encourage you not to do that. To pursue the will of God. The same thing can be said of your career, your relationships, the decisions you make each day. Do you make those decisions and pursue them because it's the will of God for your life? Or are you doing that because you think it's good? I know it's a challenging thought, but we need to realign our lives and do like the disciples. They see, there's something that in the scripture that really it captivates my, my mind and my heart because... Jesus, when he picked his disciples to follow him, he picked ordinary people. But you have to understand that in Jesus' day, uh, the nation of Israel, uh, everybody, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that was their curriculum in school. And they learned also from the prophets and, and from the books of poetry and, 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 and the books of uh, um, history. And so all of those kids, they were exposed to the Torah and they were taught to memorize, really, the Torah when they were kids. And they knew how to pray. They knew how to pray the Psalms. They all grew up praying. They had a religious background. But you know what's interesting? After walking with Jesus 
They came up to Jesus at one point and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Think about that. They've been praying their whole lives. They prayed the Psalms just like Jesus prayed the Psalms. But there was something about Jesus that they noticed. It's, it's, it's something about your prayer. Things happen when you pray. There's a connection with God that you have that we don't have. And if you remember, famous prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. It starts with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's right there. Jesus' teaching says, first, you have to see God as your Father. A close relationship. But the very next thing you got to do is desire His will for your life. Friends, if you want to solve the problem of sin in your life, this is the solution. Is your constant desire for God's will in your life. And God's will alone for your entire life. And I want to encourage you today to pursue that. To pursue that. It's this, it's this paradox in the life of Christ because Scripture says that if, you look, if you're looking for your life, the original life that you desire, right? we, all, we all want to leave our, leave our mark. We all want to live the purpose that God has for us. We all have this desire. If you want to find that life, it comes by seeking the will of God. It comes by living like Jesus did. And it's in doing that that you discover the life that he has for you. Let me encourage you to do that. And if you do that, God will take you places you never dreamed of. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. We love you so much. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.